Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to the author of The Politics of Millennials, Political Beliefs, and Policy Preferences of America's Most Diverse Generation. The book is published by the University of Michigan Press, and the uh, two authors are Stella Rouse and Ashley Ross. I have the pleasure to have Stella on the phone today. Stella, how are you doing today? Good, Heath. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, you have been on the podcast before with an earlier book uh, uh, on a related but not identical topic. Uh, for that reason, maybe you can just uh, talk a little bit about yourself, your background, the stuff you work on, and then we'll talk about the interesting book uh, that you've written. Maybe you could also introduce your co-author who isn't with us here today. Um, so I'm Stella Rouse. I'm an associate professor um, and the director of the Center for American Politics and Citizenship at the University of Maryland. Um, I study identity politics, um, somewhat broad, broadly defined, but with a focus on on Latino politics and now uh, sort of making the crossover to millennials. And as you said, these things are related as um, millennials are, are the most diverse generation in history, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that, but certainly an extension of the research that I've done. My co-author, Ashley Ross, is at um, University of uh, Texas A&M Galveston, um, and she also does work on on millennials, but her work also extends into looking at issues related to to resiliency um, and uh, factors in that area. The um, as as you begin to allude, the book is all about millennials, uh, a, a group that I think even the casual political observer probably thinks they understand. Uh, they think they know what they're all about, and and your book is about doing what uh, political scientists do, which is to um, uh, provide information to show that some of what they think is right, and maybe much of what they think is actually wrong. Uh, in doing so, you confront uh, the the cohort issue, which is. Uh, when you talk about millennials, you mean something in particular, and it may be a little different from what other people mean. So maybe we can start our conversation just talking about that. Who, who are the millennials that you're talking about? When were they born? Uh, what's, what's the age cohort 
that you focus on in the book? Sure. So um, we define millennials as those born from the early 1980s to the late 1990s. And as you mentioned, Heath, there, there isn't sort of agreement upon what, where generations begin or end specifically. There's a general agreement that it's about a 20-year period, but there's some disagreement among um, scholars, generational scholars, other social scientists, and even pundits about you know what um, years encompass uh, a generation. Um, I think there's been some general agreement with respect to millennials that it is in the early 80s, but whether it goes all the way to the 2000s or it ends in 1998, 1997, there's still some some disagreement about that. But generally, what we can say is that they were born in the early 80s all the way through the late 90s and that their sort of formative experiences revolved to some extent around the turn of the century. Obviously, some millennials had more experiences around the turn of the century than others, but that's generally when we discuss the millennial generation. We talk about that, having their formative years um, be impacted one way or another by the turn of the century. And and what does that mean? In in the book, you talk about the millennial generation persona. Uh, What are those things that have shaped this uh, generation in a, in a particular way that relate to the kinds of attitudes that we'll talk about later in our conversation. So, so what are the seminal things that, that shape uh, who millennial are, millennials are as a people? Yeah, so we, we really established the millennial identity or the millennial persona as sort of the foundational um, roadmap for explaining why millennials have certain um, political attitudes and policy preferences. And what we mean by that is uh, certainly events and experiences um, that they that that generation has gone through that has sort of bind them together. Um, we talk a lot in the book about a few that are prominent to us. The main one is diversity, right? The millennials are the most diverse generation in American history. Um, that diversity has uh, not only helped shape their political views and political attitudes, but really, um, you know, their, their formative experiences. Uh, we also talk about the fact that millennials are the first digital natives. And what we mean by that is that they're the first generation to really not know what it's like not to have um, grown up with uh, the internet, with cell phones, with having um, instant communication, uh, not only next door, but around the world. Uh, so that's another, um, you know, formative thing that that helps define the millennial um, generation persona. And, and then the other really prominent one that we discuss in the book has to do with 9-11. Uh, 9-11 really affected millennials. Again, uh, sort of this event, this major event that occurred around the turn of the century that had varying effects on, on, on this cohort and how it shapes not only their foreign attitudes about foreign policy, but also domestic policy and how they view people around the world. Now, the, the, the casual observer, especially the, the cynics among that group, would say that uh, millennials don't care about much of anything that that's what defines them. Uh, what you find is something different. So why don't you tell, uh, talk a little bit about what millennial um, citizens, voters, people uh, care about? What, what are their priorities and how do they rank them? And, and does that differ from other cohorts of, of voters? So 
Tell us about these, you know, the initial priorities of millennials. Sure. And I think it it really does a a disservice to the millennial generation to sort of, um, you know, as the media uh, like to say that they're lazy and, and, um, you know, uninspired. And uh, these things are so not true based on the research that we did um, as far as, uh, you know, conducting surveys and holding focus groups with millennials. Um, I think they're far from from those things that are put out in the media. Uh, I think that they, the things that they care about have a lot to do with the experiences that they've had as a cohort. Um, and let me point to a few that I think, you know, are, are fairly obvious once you start thinking about it, right? So education, for example, is a major concern of millennials, uh, not only because of the cost of education, uh, higher education has skyrocketed, uh, but the amount of student debt that millennials carry, they carry more than any other generation. Um, and this is has been intertwined with the fact that um, they experience disproportionate uh, effects from the Great Recession that, you know, devalued the education that that that, that they have obtained um, by being either unemployed or underemployed. Um, and so education is a major concern for millennials, how to pay for education, how to get student debt relief and how to make education accessible for everyone, including the large uh, minority population that makes up a large part of the millennial cohort. Um, another issue that is important to millennials is health care. They've experienced Obamacare and being on their parents' insurance up to the age of 26, with his, which has been very popular among millennials. And so they see that as an issue that um, not necessarily that it should become um, sort of government funded health care, but that the government should play a significant role in helping um, everyone have access to affordable health care. Uh, so those are those are our, our two big ones. Immigration is another one that, that millennials care about. They're they're very um, accepting when it comes to immigrants. And that's not a surprise since they are such a diverse generation. They've grown up with people uh, with a, a diversity of people around them in, in um, you know, elementary, middle and high school and then going into college. And so they are they are very resilient in their immigration attitudes as far as being very pro-immigration, even in the face of economic anxiety. How you did this research is, is pretty interesting. You've, you've begun to allude to and describe um, some of the the find the really interesting findings. But but how you did this is is a. Uh, also interesting because reaching millennials uh, takes a different approach than maybe other cohorts were reached in the past for the exact reasons you're suggesting, the digital uh, uh, dimensions of the millennial generation. So would you talk a little bit about how you collected this information and and how you and, and your co-author went about um, actually doing the study? Sure. So our our work is is sort of mixed method in its approach. We um, not only conducted surveys, but we also uh, conducted uh, focus groups, eight total, two in four different cities uh, across the country. Um, and it was somewhat of a challenge to to reach millennials, to get them interested in, um, you know, actually participating in the focus groups. We, we used incentives, we used Craigslist, we used a, a university setting in order to, to sort of provide a focal point where millennials can, could come together um, uh, in order to participate in the focus group and not not even most of our millennials were um, uh, college students, but it just provided a focal point where millennials knew where, where big universities were. And I think that facilitated um, our recruitment of millennials in order to participate in the focus groups. But it was really trial and error um, because, as you said, they are um, you know, oftentimes hard to reach. You don't reach them by traditional means of, of sort of um, 
recruitment and things like that. So we we relied on on the internet. We relied on um, you know again uh, having a setting where where millennials might actually uh, be in and around. Um, and then uh, for our surveys, we really um, used internet-based surveys, right? Where uh, we could actually recruit millennials, use a um, use a survey company that could recruit millennials and have an oversample of millennials for the survey. But much easier to do over the internet and have an internet-based service than it would have been to try and get them to respond or participate via traditional phone-based survey, which are much harder to get millennials to actually answer the phone to to do a survey. Now, one of the things that I found most interesting about the findings of the book was about the sort of the underlying ideology of millennials. Uh, We typically think of a left to right continuum and would place cohorts of people on the left or on the right. Uh, What it seems to me is that you've found something different. So uh, moving away from just priorities and thinking about how millennials think about politics and government, um, where where would you place them? Do they do they fit on the left or on the right or somewhere else in terms of their view about how government might or might not solve the social problems that they prioritize? Yeah. So what we found, obviously, there is this sort of conven- conventional wisdom out there that millennials are, are very liberal and that their liberalness uh, defines them. And, and to some extent, that's true. But to answer your question, where I would place them, I think it depends. It depends on what we're talking about. And, and we really discovered this in going through the issues that we went through in the book, um, thinking that millennials were really going to be to the left of every of older adults on every single issue. And that's just not the case. So, for example, the issues that really matter to them and that have affected them significantly throughout their lives, I mentioned education and healthcare. care, um, they tend to be much more liberal. Uh, on certain social issues, they tend to be much more liberal than the older population. Um, for example, same-sex marriage, they're, they're much more liberal than older adults uh, on acceptance of same-sex marriage. On legalization of marijuana, they're much more liberal than older adults. But surprisingly, um, when it comes to the issue of abortion and gun rights, um, they look much more like, like um, older cohorts. Uh, they look much more like their race and ethnic cohorts that are older than them than they look like distinct from um, or being more liberal than older generations. Uh, on issues generally related to the economy, how much they want government intervention in the economy, millennials take a very middle of the road approach to that. They want some government intervention, but they don't want the government to control the economy. They want some free market forces to be part of the economy. And so they're very cautious. And we make the argument in the book that I think that has something to do with their experience during the Great Recession, seeing the government, um, you know, uh, seeing companies and the government have to bail up out corporations during the Great Recession has really made them kind of cautious as to what role the government should play. And, and seeing the government be in debt and the deficit that the government runs, I think also affects sort of their attitudes about what role government should play in the economy. So overall, I would say that millennials are not monolithic. You can't clump them all together and say that they're all liberal on every single issue. They're very diverse, and it depends on what issue we're talking about um, in terms of figuring out how liberal they may be relative uh, to, to older generations. Now, the, the, again, the, the cynic would say all of this doesn't matter a lot because millennials, uh, they don't participate in politics. Uh, they don't vote. They don't turn out. So why should we care? You found something different and, and some nuance in the way that uh, the uh, millennial generation does or does not participate in a variety of ways of, of, of that political uh, participation might work. So um, 
how how true or untrue is it that uh, the millennial generation um, has been sitting at the sidelines of politics? Are are they or are they participating in some ways that we might not have seen? Yeah, so I think one error people make is is by saying, um, and I know you weren't saying this, you were putting forward what, what other people say, that millennials don't participate in politics because they don't vote. And what I would say is that it's true that millennials, like other uh, generations at their age when they were young, um, are less likely to vote, are, are, you know, are the age group that are least likely to vote, in fact, most of the time. But that not voting does not translate into not participating in politics. There are many forms of um, civic engagement and participation, and millennials engage in many of those. And, um, you know, the trick really is, I think, what what left us at the end of the book is, is sort of trying to have a discussion about how we solve that puzzle with the fact that millennials do participate in other ways. For example, they're much more likely to join marches, to be part of rallies, to protest, uh, to do things at the local level in terms of trying to to better um, their local economies and government than they are to go uh, to the voting booth. And so how do we translate those activities that include also um, engagement on social media and, and through new forms of participation? How do we translate those to get them to want to um, come out to vote and to vote, you know, uh, and to express that form of participation. Um, and so that's the real puzzle. And I think there's a lot of people trying to figure that out, how, how we translate their interest in engagement that does not include voting into uh, voting being a part of, um, you know, sort of their habit of participation. Yeah. The, the book, again, is The Politics of Millennials, Political Beliefs and Policy Preferences of America's Most Diverse Generation. Uh, the author Stella Rouse and her co-author Ashley Ross uh, have published this book uh, with University of Michigan Press. Uh, I, I hope everyone goes out and reads it. Stella, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. It was great talking to you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.